set sail. We ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. for week two of launch and we are launching our new year by learning principles from God's word every weekend between now and the middle of February we're learning a new principle so that we can truly live a life of success last week we asked the question how do you live life to the full and we saw Jesus answer where he said I've come to give you life to the full and if you missed that week what we learned is that essentially you follow Christ to your fullest life. You follow Christ to your fullest life. This week we get to dive in a little bit deeper and learn what that looks like. And we're going to talk today about two of the realities as you now get into the rhythm and the routines of your new year. If you've got kids, they're back in school. If you've made some resolutions or some goals, you're now at the point where you're really struggling with, am I actually going to go to the gym or am I actually going to quit smoking or whatever else you might have decided. And here's the first question we're asking today. How do you simplify your crazy life? How do you simplify your crazy life? Now, I've got a funny story about what life can be like when we're just doing too much. When I was a journalist working in the Phoenix, Arizona area right after college, I had this young friend. We were in our, both in our early 20s, young professionals, and he, was, uh, he worked in like an internet tech company. He was just this crazy guy. He loved Jesus. He was one of my best friends, uh, but he was one of these people who was just always doing a little bit too much. And one day, he and I, we were actually having dinner together. He said, John, the funniest thing happened to me at work today. I said, what happened? He said, <laughs> he said well, uh, I've been working so many late nights. I'm so tired. I went to the bathroom, and I fell asleep on the toilet. <laughs> so I laughed at him for a little while. And he said, oh, no, it gets better. <laughs> How does this get better? He said, well, I, I woke up eventually from my nap and realized Whoa, where, oh my goodness. And then he realizes he's at work. He jumps up, but his legs had fallen asleep. <laughs> so he describes to me jumping up and then just falling flat on his face. He wasn't injured or anything, okay? But I just had the best laugh just laughing at him. And as I was thinking this week about just the times in life when we're doing too much, it reminded me of that story. Well, I hope you haven't fallen asleep on the toilet. I hope your year's off to a better start. But the reality is, between the demands of work, the demands of kids, family, life, paying the bills, trying to stay healthy, trying to do whatever you set out to do with your new year, life gets crazy. Life just gets busy and complicated. There's so much noise coming into our minds. And so we're asking today, how can you simplify the craziness in your life? Would you like to know the answer to that? 
Yeah, me too. We're going to see it in God's word. And here's a related question, okay? Once you've simplified the crazy, you know, okay, this is what I should do. I'm not going to be able to do those things I thought I could do. If you're like me, there's going to be mornings where your alarm goes off and it's still dark outside and you think, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want, I know what I should do now. Things are a little simpler, but I would rather be on social media or watch the movie than go to the gym or do the thing I should do for my family. You're right, you've prioritized, but now if you're like me, you may have this struggle. How do you get motivated when you lack motivation? How do you get motivated when you lack motivation? So we're actually gonna see one passage of scripture that answers both of these questions. How do you simplify your crazy life and how do you do the right thing when you know what it is, but you just feel a little bit lazy. Let's see God's answer to both of these questions. It's found in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You can turn there if you have a Bible. We'll also have the text up on the screen. And this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, the theme actually starts at the very tail end of chapter 12. So let's look at the tail end of chapter 12. God says, now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Isn't that what we're after? We want not just a little patch for our lives, we want the best way of life. We want a life where we have clarity. I know what to do today. We want a life where we have motivation, where I, I actually feel like doing what I'm supposed to do today. God says, let me show you a way of life that is best of all. And actually that verse, let's go back and look at it because one of my favorite things about this verse, if you have a, a different translation, some of the translations say, but now let me show you the most excellent way. And I love that because there's this old movie called Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. <laughs> and uh, this would be Bill and Ted's life verse, okay? Let me now show you the most excellent way. Okay, here's the most excellent way. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 says this, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong. I'd just be a, a, a terrible noise. The text goes on, it says this, if I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, and if I possessed all knowledge, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. Then verse 3 says it again, if I gave everything I have to the poor, and even sacrificed my body, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Now, you're going to get into a part of the chapter that may be familiar to you. 1 Corinthians 13 is known as the love chapter. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard these verses. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. When I was in high school, for a while, I worked, I worked a whole bunch of different jobs. And one of them was running a video camera at weddings. And it seemed like every other wedding would have this chapter. It's sometimes called the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Now, we're familiar with the heart of the chapter, but what I had never noticed before, and maybe you've never noticed, is these little bookends at the beginning and end of the chapter actually talk about how to prioritize in our lives, how to find motivation in our lives, and how to reach true success in our lives. Now, last week, if you were with us, we learned that Christ is our leader. We follow him to our fullest life. And because he's our leader, he modeled for us a life of love. 
In fact, there was a time when Jesus was asked, um, what's the most important, Jesus, what's your favorite verse? What's the most important command in the Bible? And he said this, he said, you can actually summarize the whole Bible with just two statements. The first one is this, to love the Lord your God, love your creator with all your heart, with all your mind, with your inner person. And then Jesus said the second summary of the whole Bible is just like it. Once you receive God's love for you, love the people around you like you love yourself. Now, interestingly, when the Bible talks about love, when God talks about love, it overlaps with how our neighbors talk about love and maybe how we normally think of it, but it's much more. For example, right now, if you were to Google love or even Google news search love, most of the results, I tested it this last week, almost all the results are about romance, about sexuality, and even about lust. In fact, very often when our culture says love, it's actually talking about selfishness. Very often someone will say, I fell in love, and really what they mean is, I really was strongly attracted to something that I wanted for myself, and our culture calls that love. But what God calls love is about giving and receiving, but giving in a way that values the other person more than yourself. And it's, it's not only limited to the physical or sexual realm like our culture talks about. In fact, when you think of a mother loving her child, self-sacrificing, giving up her own comfort to care for and nurture her child, that's the kind of love we're talking about. And that's the kind of love that God has for you and we're going to see as we journey through this text that when we receive that kind of love from God, we kind of fill up on it, we absorb it, and then we're able to give that kind of love to our neighbors. When we realize how much we are loved, we're able to love others much. So let's keep reading in this text to help us simplify our lives and find motivation. Here's the bookend at the end of the text in verse 13. Three things will last forever. Faith in God, hope that God will prevail, and love for God and for others. Of these three things that will last forever, the greatest of these is love. And now here's the beginning of the next chapter, but it's really the conclusion of chapter 13. Let love be your highest goal. Let love be your highest goal. These are God's words to us, and here's how we can summarize what we're learning today. You and I can find clarity, we can find motivation, and we can find success by choosing love. Find clarity in your life. In other words, uh, there's 50 things I want to do today, but I only have time for four. Which four am I going to pick? Well, when you choose love as your grid or your lens, you'll know which ones rise to the top. Find motivation. I'm going to get out of bed today and I'm going to go do these things not just to survive, but because I love the people I get to serve and I love my family. And so I'm going to get up and I'm going to do these things out of a motive of love. You'll find that you have a much deeper motivation than simply surviving. And third, we can find a life of true success. That is when you get to the end of life, you won't look back and regret that, oh my goodness, I spent all my time and energy amassing things that I'm going to leave behind. Instead, you can get to the end of life and you can have deep relationships and you can look around and know I have true success because I chose love. 
Clarity means I know what I'm supposed to do today. Did you know that you can get out of bed every morning and you can wake up knowing this is why I exist today. I have purpose today. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do today. I don't just have to kind of make it through the day half numb, half zombied out on social media. I have a purpose for the day. And there's nothing wrong with social media. There's nothing wrong with hobbies. But I'm not just surviving in life. I'm thriving in life. That's what clarity is about. Motivation is even when I know what the right thing is to do and I feel lazy or I don't feel like doing the right thing, I can access a reservoir of motivation that helps me to actually do the right thing. Well, let's talk about these three things. Clarity. Your outline puts it this way. Simplify. When you have clarity about what matters and what doesn't matter, you're able to simplify your crazy life. You prioritize by asking, is this project, is this desire, is this thing that's competing for my affection and attention today, is it about loving people? And if it's not, then it moves down to the lower part of the list. And if it is about loving people, it moves up to the higher part of the list. I remember a time in my life, probably about four years ago, I was doing a lot of really good things. Um, God was allowing me to serve in a, a really healthy church. I was having a blast. My job was going well. Young kids, family was healthy. Life was good. But I reached a point where I was just depleted because I was just going, going, going. I was doing lots of good things, but I was running out of steam. And it was one of those points in life where I realized I need to prioritize. I need to simplify my crazy life. And this truth is, is one of the things that helped me kind of set out a course for my life and say, okay, these are the things I'm going to do. These are the things I'm not going to do. Actually, at that point in my life, I still had this little side job that I had started when I was a newspaper editor. It was, it's an auto review. And this was just a, this was a really tough job. Here's how it worked, okay? Every week, the auto manufacturers would bring me a different brand new car. BMW, Lexus, Audi, Hyundai, all of them, Toyota, the whole, the whole 52 weeks a year. Every week, you get a different brand new car with a full tank of gas they always had it loaded up with all the options because then what I would do as a journalist, I would drive the car for a week and I would write about it. It was just a terrible job. <laughs> it was, you know, suffering for Jesus. Just <laughs> suffering away. And, you know, I loved that because I, I grew up in Michigan. I'm a car guy. It was really like a hobby and I loved doing it. But it probably took five or six hours a week to do it well. You have to coordinate with the press fleet. I'd have to, you know, research the cars. I would obviously drive them and then I'd write about them. And it was a great thing, especially when I was a young single guy. It was just an awesome hobby. But you know what? As the kids started getting older and life started to get really complicated and crazy and there's just too much going on, I had to decide, okay, I need some hours of time to actually have quality time with my kids. Where am I going to find it? And ultimately came to the conclusion of, well, if I give up the auto review, I can keep doing these other things that are about loving people. And it sounds like a sacrifice, but actually, it actually isn't. <laughs> because you learn when you, when you prioritize around loving people, that people are what matters. Cars are fun. Hobbies are good. Hobbies are important. But ho hobbies are just a little part of life. People 
are what matter in life. And you know, no one who prioritizes people over success or possessions, no one ever regrets that. It's the other way around. It's when we prioritize possessions or success or even self-pleasure above people, those are the decisions we look back on and regret. So God says in love, do you need to simplify your life? Then write out all the things you're committed to. And this is one of the great things about being in a small group is you can invite other men and women into it and say, hey, I know I should have some hobbies, you know, help me, you guys weigh in, give me your guys' wisdom, what do you guys think? How, how much is a healthy amount of a hobby and how much is my hobby has overtaken my life and I'm just living for myself? Because uh, there's, there's a balance here. But when you don't know how to prioritize, make loving other people the grid through which you decide this is what I will or won't do. Here's the application statement. When multiple items compete, I will prioritize loving people. When multiple items compete, I will prioritize loving people. That's what God's word said over and over when it said, if I do all these things, if I get all these things, if I have all these accomplishments, but I don't love people, I really haven't done anything. So we find clarity, we find simplicity, we find prioritization around loving people. Well, how about motivation? Once you know what the right thing is to do, if you're like me, there's gonna be days, there's gonna be moments in life where you think, okay, I now have my clear, this is what I should do, but everything in me wants to just lay on the couch or everything in me wants to just do the very opposite of that. How do you find motivation? And that's the second thing we see in our text. We're able to tap into the deepest human motivation by channeling love. We're able to tap into the deepest human motivation by channeling love. Now, fear is a powerful motivator. And a lot of us, if we're honest, fear is what motivates us in life, right? I don't want to get out of bed and go to my job. It's dark out, it's cold, but I'm afraid if I don't go, I'll lose my job. I'm afraid if I don't do it, I'll be homeless, right? And fear is an effective motivator. Fear is also a motivator that will give you ulcers, will make your blood pressure higher than it needs to be. Fear can live to, lead to a life of surviving. You know, fear is a good motivator if you just want to survive in life, make your choices based on fear. But love is a deeper, more powerful motivator that leads to a life of thriving, and part of what this text is teaching us is I can wake up in the morning, you can wake up in the morning and decide I'm going to go out today and do these things motivated by love. Earlier this week, I was talking with one of our facilities guys on our facilities team here. We've got an amazing staff here. And one of the facilities guys, I was saying, hey, have a good night. I hope you have fun with your family. He said, yeah, I'll, I'll be getting up at 2.30 in the morning. Whoa, why 2.30? He said, well, snow is in the forecast and the preschool workers will be here at five. So I need to get here at three to start clearing the ice off of the parking lot. I wanna get here well in advance of them because I care about them. I love them. I want them to be safe as they're making their way into work. You see how he's living a life, he's motivated by love and he's gonna get up in the morning because he realizes my life is about loving other people and I get to do what I do in my home. I get to do what I do in my workplace because I love other people. And when you're drawing from that well, you have a much deeper motivation. 
Uh, let's say your New Year's resolution is to quit smoking. Well, if every time you're tempted to grab a cigarette, you think, hey, if I smoke that, I'm going to get lung cancer and die. That's fear. That's a, that's a better motivation than no motivation, okay? But you know what's even a stronger motivation? To picture the eyes of your daughter or your granddaughter or someone you love and think, I want to be around for that person. And so that's why I'm not going to pick up the cigarette. And this applies to every area of our life where you know you need to say no to some things and where you know you need to say yes and get off your hiney and do some things. When you say, I'm going to do the right thing out of love, you're accessing a much deeper well of motivation. Now, if you're like me, there's times that your love for other people will run dry. If you're like me, and this is just an admission, okay, that I'm fully human up here. If you're like me, there's some people who are really easy to love. You know, they smell nice. They, they ask questions about you. They're easy to be around. But then there's all the other people in the world too. And God calls us to love all of them. So how do we love the people who don't smell nice, who aren't easy to be around, who grate on our personality, who just talk about themselves the whole conversation? How do we love those people? Well, this is our application of this, okay? When I don't have enough love in myself, and you will run out of love, (laughs) at least if you're like me, that's when I draw from God's unlimited supply. That's when I draw from God's unlimited supply. Now, this works in every circle of your life. If you start right in your house, if you've got roommates or if you're married or if you've got a spouse or kids, no matter how lovely those people are, there's going to be times where they annoy you. If you've been married for more than about a month, you've realized this. (laughs) There's going to be times where as much as you were once attracted to that person, in this particular moment, you don't feel romantic love for them. And everything in you just wants to get in a fight with them. Those are the moments when our human capacity for love is maxed out. That's when we choose love. Remember, love is an action in the Bible. When Jesus died on the cross, that was the ultimate expression of love. It's a self-sacrifice. And the beautiful thing about being a follower of Christ is when your little reservoir, when my reservoir of love runs dry, I have access to an infinite well, a huge reservoir of God's love. And that's when I say, God, I don't feel love for this person right now, but I know you have love for this person. So would you fill me with your love for this person? Actually, when you become a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. And the Holy Spirit is almost like a tree inside you that's constantly producing fruit. And you actually, depending on how much you follow Christ or not, you can either really encourage this tree and water it to produce lots of fruit, or you can kind of stifle it and starve it. But if you encourage the Holy Spirit to be your leader and to to be free in you, the first thing he produces, according to the Word of God, is love. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. And so in my life, I don't have enough love in myself. I don't have enough joy. I don't have enough peace. I don't have gentleness, self-control, kindness at times. But the Holy Spirit is always waiting to supply those things. And so as you choose to make love your motivation, you're going to have days where you think, Okay, Lord, today I'm going to do the right thing out of love, but wait a minute, I don't feel like I have enough love for these people to do the right thing. That's when you call out to God. 
That's when you say, God, I don't just want to live a normal human life of surviving. I want to live a supernatural life. I want to experience this thing you talk about of your spirit living inside me and giving me a, a supernatural capacity to love, a supernatural joy that goes beyond my circumstances or my personality, a supernatural peace and patience. And if you call out for that, if you ask for that, and then you step out in faith, you will see that God provides it. And you start to live a life that's motivated, not just out of surviving or self-interest, but out of loving others. And you start to actually experience that fullness of life that Jesus came to give us. Well, I want to tell you a true story about a sister in our church family. Uh, this is actually a, a, a mom in our church family. She was out getting a pedicure about a year and a half ago. She was out getting a pedicure, and a 19-year-old was, you know, giving her her pedicure. As she's getting this pedicure, the Holy Spirit kind of prompts her to start asking questions of this 19-year-old. And they actually started a friendship, started a relationship. Well, soon this mom from our church invited the 19-year-old to come to Connection Point. And more than that, gave her a ride, invited her to attend with their family because you see this woman I'm talking about she's just like you and me she's got normal struggles she's not perfect but because of this principle she lives a life of love and even when she's out doing hobbies or getting a pedicure she's thinking God how do I love the people around me she started giving a ride to church to this 19 year old well this 19 year old placed her faith in Christ this 19-year-old found in that family and in our larger church family found a community of people who love her like she'd never been loved before. She's part of the young adults community here now. She's part of a small group here now. And as she has gotten sewn into the fabric of our church, it has positively affected all the different dimensions of her life, her emotions, her relationships, her finances, people from our church have actually helped her get a better job. Other people from our family here have helped her to start attending a tech college so she can get a degree for an even better job. And what is happening is she's becoming a much better version of herself because of her relationship with God and because of the love that all of you are giving her. I want to show you a picture that was taken from her social media a couple months ago. And what this shows is how we absorb God's love for us and it changes us and then we're able to give that love to others. This is a mirror where she's redefining how do I see myself and now that she's a child of God, now because she's been adopted into God's family, she can write this, my savior paid a price for my life and I am not the image that other people paint me as or the horrid image that I paint of myself. I am his beloved. I was bought. I am a child of my God. No matter what horrid words I see written on my mirror when I look at myself, my God erases those words and makes them into something beautiful. And you can see on this mirror for when she looks at herself that she's written, I am his beloved. I was bought. I am a child of God. I am not alone. Life is messy. Life is a struggle. I'm not going to tell you this story and say, so this person never has any problems anymore, never gets the flu, never has a bad day. 
Okay, life is still life, but this person has a, a defining identity and purpose and motivation because she's receiving the love of God. And you know what? The family that invited her here is a family that is living a truly successful life because they're prioritizing, even when they go out into town to do errands, how do we love the people around us? You know, it's interesting when Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself, that Jesus says you're supposed to love yourself. There was a time in my life where I had not realized that. Because I, I, if you had told me that, I would have said that sounds really selfish and self-centered. And When Jesus says to properly love yourself, he's not talking about living a self-centered life. But here's what he is talking about. Acknowledging the God of the universe who made the galaxies, who owns everything. He made me and he values me. Therefore, I value me to the extent that he does. A friend actually helped me realize this. The friend said, um, John, you've got employees and I've noticed that you take good care of your employees. I've noticed that if someone's working really hard, sometimes you go up and you say, hey, you've been putting in a lot of extra hours. I want you to take a couple days of vacation. Here's a gift certificate to a bed and breakfast. Take your wife, get away. You've just been working so hard. My friend said, John, you're good at helping other people in your life take care of themselves physically but you don't seem to realize that God loves you the same way and wants you to take care of yourself physically. It was a turning point in my life where I realized, you know what, making sure I get enough sleep, making sure I'm in a healthy place physically and emotionally, that's part of properly loving myself. And what I do is I fill up on this kind of view of I'm valuable, not because of anything I've done or what anyone thinks of me or what I look like, but I'm valuable because of who I belong to. And you, you absorb that love like a sponge. And it's then that you're able to give that kind of love out to the people around you. So some of you in here, maybe the big application of this message, living a life of love, is what if 2018 is the year where you decide, I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite God's love into every crevice and crack and broken area of my life. I'm gonna stop resisting God and I'm gonna invite his love to heal what's broken inside of me. I'm gonna invite his love, that will be the definition of who I am. Because if you're trying to love others but you haven't yet absorbed that, you're gonna run dry really fast. But you, you absorb when you realize how much God loves you then you're able to go out and love others much. So where do we find motivation and clarity in loving God and loving others? And when our love runs out, we look to God and we say, God, I need you to fill me up on your love. Well, third, we find our true definition of success in this text. We find actual success by choosing love as our highest goal. You can find actual success in your life by choosing love as your highest goal. So when I was a reporter in Arizona, I got a lot of weird story assignments, and I'm going to tell you one of them. I got assigned to go and cover this community of vacation homes, big, beautiful, luxury vacation homes. And I started to profile the families who had bought these homes. And a lot of these families, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with a vacation home, okay? But a lot of these families were not, some of them, as I got to know them, they weren't really living a life of loving others. 
their whole life, in fact, I'm thinking of one couple in particular, they both worked full-time jobs. Everything they could do was about paying off their one house and buying a vacation house. That, that's what their whole life was about. Now, this, this whole resort area was called Bison Ranch. So there's all these beautiful houses with big, gorgeous windows that look out on this forest. Uh, in Arizona, there's these high mountain forests. It's a lot like Colorado. It's dense pines. It's low humidity. It's really mild climate. It's always sunny. It's just really beautiful, beautiful forests. And these houses were all designed with these beautiful views of the forest. This place, Bison Ranch, had a, a big Big field in the front with actual bison there, a clubhouse, all the usual stuff. And I remember interviewing for, for that kind of community, you know. <laughs> Not like usual for, for the rest of us, but okay. <laughs> Raise your hand if you have bison in your front yard. <laughs> okay, here's the point of this story. Sadly, uh, a wildfire came through, a forest fire. And the forest firefighters were able to save all the houses and the resort, but none of the trees. So you had these beautiful homes that these people had worked their entire lives for. The whole house is set up with a view that looks out on a charred wasteland. I mean, if you've ever seen forest after a forest fire, it's just stubs of trees. It looked like an atomic bomb had gone off back there. I mean, it's just stubs of trees and ash. And that was the real reason, the real conflict of the story it's that these people had worked their whole lives for these houses with these beautiful views and now they just had a view of ash and destruction a sad story for those where that's all they had worked for their entire life and as a follower of Christ as I was interviewing these people I realized there's, there's nothing morally wrong with a vacation home or setting goals okay there's nothing wrong with stuff like that but if, if you do those things at the cost of loving people, you're going to live a life that is actually a failure spiritually. And I, I actually, a verse came to mind as I was interviewing them. There's this passage in the Bible where it talks about people who are saved as though going through a fire. And the idea is this, salvation is a free gift. You don't earn your spot in heaven by doing good works. You receive the work that Christ did on the cross and it's a free gift of salvation. So none of us are going to be to heaven because we loved people. We're only going to be in heaven if we acknowledge that we were sinners and we receive Christ's free gift of salvation. But there's this unique passage in scripture that says some people are going to show up to heaven and they're there because of what Christ did, but they kind of show up with their eyebrows singed. And they don't really have anything to show for their life because they received God's free gift, but they never learned to live a life of love. And so everything in their life was wood, hay, and stubble. And by human economy, it looked really valuable, but when it passed through the judgment, it all just burnt up. See, Jesus describes this whole planet we live on, my house, your house, all the trees, all the cars, it's all going to burn up. He's actually going to melt it down to create a new heaven and a new earth of a much higher quality where there's no sin, no cancer, no pain, no murder, no death. And so all the physical stuff, it's not sinful, it's not bad, but it's all going to pass away. But remember the text said there's three things that don't pass away, faith, hope, and love. Your soul will not pass away. When your body someday dies, your soul is going to spend eternity either with God or separated from him. And so God says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. The souls of your kids, your neighbors, your coworkers 
will live for eternity. The word of God will be eternal. And faith, hope, and love. And then that verse says, and the greatest of these is love. So how do you invest knowing that someday our physical assets are going to burn up? How do you invest into eternal reward? Well, that same passage says that there are people who live a life of wood, hay, and stubble. And this is all about motives. Why do I do what I do? There are other people, by earthly measures, they never looked very wealthy. But they lived a life of love. And as such, they built up on their foundation gold, silver, and precious gems. Now, when gold goes through a fire, pure gold, it it doesn't get polluted, it doesn't go away, it just gets refined and it's just that much prettier. And what God says is you can, your salvation is a free gift, you don't earn it, but on that foundation of salvation, you can live your whole life accumulating stuff for yourself, get to the end, it passes through the judgment, you're still saved, but you have nothing to show for your time on earth. Or you can live a life of loving others, adopt God's priorities for success, and have on the foundation of your salvation a life of gold and silver and precious stones. And what is that about? It's about loving other people the same way that Christ loved us. Let love be your highest goal. Here's application number three. If I accomplish all my goals but fail to love people, I will actually accomplish nothing. Nothing wrong with financial goals. Nothing wrong with success. But if I do those things at the cost of loving people, I will actually have accomplished nothing. Now the flip side is just as true. If I abandon some other goals, but I do manage to love people, then I will succeed. That's what this text says. That's what the word of God says. If you disagree with it, take it up with him. I'm just telling you it because I want the best for you, okay? I'm telling you it because I truly, I want you at the end of your life to look back and see that your life was a success by God's standards. God loves you no matter what. You don't do this out of shame or guilt. You do this out of receiving his love and now we get to give it to others and live lives that actually matter. Now this is true for each of us individually. This is true in our families. We can create this culture with our kids that we're about loving others. And this is true for us as a church. You know, there's some churches, there's some ministries around the country and throughout church history that started off well. They started loving people, but over time they lose their love and they drift. And you know what? There are ministries that have accurate doctrine statements and big buildings, but by this definition, they're no longer spiritually successful because they've forgotten that it's all about loving people. So what we do at the beginning of a new year is we decide for ourselves and together as a church, number one, Christ is our leader. And secondly, love is our anthem. We're going to live a life of love. And we're going to be a church that is about loving people, no matter their background, no matter what nation they're from, no matter what race, no matter how their breath smells, no matter anything at all about them, we are going to love people. doesn't mean they're always going to be happy with us, but we're going to sacrificially love them. I want to tell you an inspiring true story uh, about a dear lady who lived right here in the Indianapolis area. Michelle Jackson is on our staff. Michelle's amazing. She's part of our community outreach 
um, team, and Michelle does an amazing job. Part of why Michelle is so good at loving people is that she was raised to love people. Michelle is one of five kids who were raised by a single mom, a single mom who worked at a Ford factory here in Indianapolis and worked a lot of early cold mornings at a factory doing pretty tedious, tiring work, but motivated by love. Here's a picture of Michelle with her mom, Charlotte. And you can see in the picture, Charlotte's on an oxygen tank. She's in a wheelchair. Charlotte just went home to be with the Lord in the last week or two. And Michelle was telling me about the celebration that her memorial service was because you see, Charlotte lived a life of love. Charlotte never had a vacation home. Charlotte never had what some people in this world would say is success. But what Charlotte had was a life of love. She taught her five kids, we love the people around us. We help them out. We meet their needs. And Michelle is now living that out here. But I want to tell you, to me, the favorite part, my favorite part of the story was within the last couple years of Charlotte's life. You see, probably because of some chemicals she breathed in at that factory, she had a condition in her lungs and that's what ultimately claimed her physical body. But when she got to a place where she could no longer go out and love people, she figured out how she could do it anyway. And what she did is she used her phone and she had this little notebook. We have a picture of this notebook. And Charlotte would spend her day, every day, praying for and loving people. And this notebook is full of hundreds of names. Charlotte would have a name and a phone number and it was her kids, it was her kids' friends, it was her grandkids, it was her neighbors, it was her old coworkers, and she would call up a person, and instead of just talking their ear off about her life, she would ask them, what can I be praying about for you? How are you doing? And she'd write all these things down in her little notebook. And then as she would pray for people, she'd go through, and a few days later, she'd call back. How did the test go? How, how's your son doing? How are you feeling? Are you, are you feeling better where you were sick? You were dog-sitting this dog, Max. How's Max doing? And Charlotte, even though physically her body was starting to die and she was in physical pain, she continued living a life of loving other people. That's a successful life. That's the kind of funeral where a room like this is full of people who were all touched by the love of someone. I remember as a young man attending a funeral for a missionary, a missionary who had spent about 40 years in the Philippines. He was a bright person. He could have had any kind of job he wanted, and he chose to go to the Philippines and invest his life ministering to the poorest of the poor. He lived a life of love. I remember at that funeral, one of the pastors saying, this man loved others. And it was a room like this, just packed with people, even in the United States, who'd been impacted by this guy's life. I remember one of the pastors saying, God has called him home to heaven. Now who's gonna, who's gonna carry the torch now? Who's gonna live that kind of life of love and legacy? And I remember as a young person, the Holy Spirit working in my heart to say, yeah, that's, I, I, wa I wanna live a life like that. And so my challenge to us as a church, my encouragement is that we are doing this as a church and so let's keep doing it. And when your life gets crazy, simplify by saying, I'm gonna live a life of loving people. And when you lack motivation, say, I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna do the right things because I love people. And when I lack that, I'm gonna call out to God 
for that motivation. Together, let's make love our anthem. Can I pray that for you now? Father, thank you that love is not just a word or an idea. It is an action. And you acted to come into our world. You acted. You chose to love us when you went to the cross in our place. You chose to carry our sins. You chose to take our punishment upon you. And you have chosen to adopt us into your family. And every day you're waiting to to prove your love with actions. If we will invite your Holy Spirit to be fanned into flame in us. Lord, I pray for every person in this room that they would receive your love. I pray that this would be a year where your love heals what is broken in us. Where your love defines us. That we would look in the mirror and see someone who is chosen, someone who is adopted, someone who's been set free. Someone who's not defined by mistakes, but defined by an unconditional love, an unending love. And Lord, for every person in this room, as we absorb your love, would we just drip it off everywhere we go? Make us a church where love is our anthem. Make our homes places where love is the anthem. Lord, I I just pray that you will use us in this new year. Help us to prioritize around loving people. Lord, I pray that you would breathe new life in these next week, in these next seven days for people who are trying to do the right thing, trying to say no to the wrong thing, that they would tap into the reservoir of love as a motivation. We're going to do the right thing because we love people and we love you. And Lord, for each of us, would our lives be lives that at the very end when we look back, it's not a wildfire. It's not a burnt ash heap, but that our lives would be gold and silver and precious things accumulated one loving action at a time. Lord, let it be true of us that love is our anthem. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.